Good morning, y'all. Let's stand. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Shepherds get there watching over silence box by night. Behold.
Don't be afraid, jump on in. The water is fine, the ceiling in, the river of life. Come as you are, no time to waste. Open your heart, don't be afraid, jump on in. Christmas. We have a word for that. Welcome to First Pres. Welcome to the advent of the coming of the Messiah, the beginning. We're waiting for Jesus to come. And Jesus is going to put everything back right again. That's a part of what we celebrate. The Messiah, God with us, breaks into the world and we get to have a real relationship with him. And when that happens, our lives are transformed. That's what we're all about at First Pres. is this Messiah who comes and makes all things new again. And we get to be loved by him and then become people who love others. That's the business we're in. Is that cool or what? That's what we're about. So here's the thing we want you to do. If you haven't connected with us, we have a thing called a Connect Card. You can find it online. You could scan it with the QR code there in front of you. They're in the tent out there. They're back on the counter. They're in the children's welcome area. And what that allows us to do is connect with you. So if you want to get more connected to the church, fill out a Connect Card, and we we'll promise you we'll follow up with you immediately. There's all kinds of cool stuff happening during the Christmas season, and Kristen Connor is going to come right now and tell you about one of them that's happening, and she's really happy about it. <laughs> yes, because someone's going to watch my children for like almost zero dollars. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. I am just going to tell you a little bit about the Pajama Jam. That is a week from Thursday, I think, right? And um, basically, it is a super cheap way for moms and dads to get a sweet date night and for your kids to get a dose of fun and a dose of Jesus. And it's really awesome, too. Um, I invite basically all the moms um, from Reese's class and from Walt's class. And it's great because they're like, oh, sweet, cheap date night. And, who, and then their kids kind of learn about Jesus, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I had so much fun at First Pres, and maybe they'll start coming. So um, my kids love it. I think we're on the fourth one or fifth one, and they're just super excited about it, love it. And like I said, just um, awesome time. And it's drop-in basically 5 to 9. Um, it's, it is a weeknight, um, but basically it's 10 bucks a kid which is, like I said, super cheap, could not get any type of sitter for that amount of money. Um, and they'll have pizza and games and fun. Um, and you do need to be registered. So just make sure there should be QR code at some point. Um, but anyway, and if you have questions, just ask Rachel. Thank you, Kristen. 
One last thing I wanted you to be aware of, as we do regularly, we show you there are lots of ways to give and hospitality can show up. And what we're doing here when we think this Sunday, when we talk about giving back to God and all the many ways we all do that, just taking care of things here at the church, we're back to thinking about the needs of the women in Created. It's the ministry that we're a part of for women who are being trafficked. And so what we have, and, and I want you to pick this up if you don't have one in your hand. Don't say, I already saw it because I was here last week, because it's brand new, because there's new stuff that's here now and stuff that wasn't here last week that's on it and stuff that was here last week that's not on it anymore. <laughs> so what we want you to do is bring gifts. It's described in detail on the flyer, and the gifts will be distributed to the women who are the people they're serving in this unbelievable ministry. So the information that you can see up on the screen now is also on this flyer in the back. It tells you what they need and how they're going to distribute it, and it tells you to bring it to us and wait until December 11th to bring it, and that's because we are just gathering it all, and we have no other way to store things here at this temporary home. So hospitality, we, we always remind you there are six ways for you to give. There's a generosity box in the back of the room. There's online giving 18 different ways, actually only five more. And so it's a way for you and me to continue to keep the mission and ministry of First Pres going, including our our gifts that we give of ourselves, our time, etc., to the women who are called in the sex industry. So thank you for being generous. Thank you for being people who are responding to Jesus and making real transformation happen in so many ways. All right. So um, we are just, again, so glad that you're here as we kick off the Advent season. And um, we are introducing a new song to y'all that really encapsulates the reason for this season, and it is actually our theme song for this new sermon series. So I invite you to stand as we sing this together.
Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, Happy Advent. I feel like everything kind of collides on this morning. I feel like a few of y'all wobbled in here this morning. Maybe a little too much stuffing and turkey. Others of you walked in in your Christmas red. Your tree is up at home. The lights are up outside and you are fully decorated for Christmas. And some of you are a little bit in between. And that's the perfect spot to be because that is Advent. This morning begins what I think might be my favorite season. It is the weeks leading up to Christmas Day. And during these weeks, the church talks about four words. We talk about hope, peace, joy, and love. And in fact, there's a tradition. I feel like I'm popping a little bit. There's a tradition around lighting candles. And we'll do that every single week here at church. We will light candles to celebrate the four words and the four Sundays of Advent. So I'm going to do that for us. When I was growing up, um, I don't really remember celebrating Advent, but my husband, Matt, his family made this a tradition that every Sunday night at the dinner table, they would celebrate Advent by lighting candles and by singing a song. And every week, the song builds with each of the four verses. So I'm going to sing what we now, as a family of four, do every Sunday night. Light one candle for hope. One bright candle for hope. He brings hope to every heart. He comes. He comes. You'll have to ask me or Matt for the rest of the song so you know how to do the other three weeks. Um, but in Advent, not only do we celebrate the arrival of Jesus and his birth, during Advent, we also look forward with expectation to the day that one day King Jesus will return. He will establish his permanent home and his permanent kingdom and make everything right. In Advent, we are invited to dream. 
And that's our sermon series for this next four weeks. It's called Dreamers. And we're going to talk about the way that the Lord communicated the birth story through dreams to his earliest people. But we're also going to talk about how Advent itself, Christmas itself, is like a dream come true. There's a verse in Psalm 37.4 that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So my question is, do you have a dream? Do you have a longing deep in your heart? Do you have something that you want fulfilled? Something that you are hoping for? This is the perfect season to bring it. Advent is the perfect time to bring it before the Lord. I realized recently, I, I sat right there, stood right there with Arthur Lastra and had a conversation a few weeks ago, and he asked me, McLean, tell me your story. Like, how did you get to where you are? Tell me your background. I want to know more about you. And as I started talking, I realized that so much of who I am is really a dream come true. It's really the Lord's faithfulness, him coming true on his promises to me. So I grew up with my family going to St. John's Episcopal here in Tampa. And when I was in the seventh grade, I had a conversation with my youth director, Carrie Cronkite. And she asked me, McLean, why would you call yourself a Christian? And as a seventh grader, the things that really mattered to me were to be known, to be accepted, and to be told, job well done. So I was like, okay, here's my chance, Carrie. She's asking me, why would I call myself a Christian? Well, my family and I go to church on Sundays. I'm in a weekly Bible study with friends. I try to do the right things, and I try to make good decisions. And I kind of was like, she's going to be like, wow, you go, girl. Like, let's go ahead and put the gold star on right now. Bingo, you've got it figured out. But that's actually not what she said. She said, McLean, those are all great things. But what about your relationship with Jesus? In my definition of what I said meant to be a Christian for me, not once had I said the name of Jesus. And so in that moment, Carrie spoke a truth into me. And she said that being a Christian isn't about the outside boxes that we all check. Being a Christian is about an explosion on the inside. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. It's about being completely connected to him, surrendering all that I know of myself to all that I know of him. And little did I know, but that conversation changed the rest of my life because it was like the light bulb went off for me. And so a few years later when I was in high school, I was invited to be a leader to Young Life's ministry to middle schoolers called Wildlife. And so as a junior, I got to go um, and spend time with middle schoolers and tell them about Jesus. And I don't say that as a look at me and look how I spent my time. I really say it in all humility and the fact that God grabbed me early. He scooped me up in seventh grade, and I can't imagine my life looking any different. So as a junior, that fall, I got to go to Southwind, uh, one of the Young Life camps, and I had a cabin full of seventh and eighth grade girls. And I had a conversation that first night with an eighth grade girl named Morgan. And Morgan just poured her heart and soul out to me and all that was going on in her eighth grade life. And with that, I experienced the Holy Spirit pouring out of me as I listened to her and I loved her and I spoke truth over her. And it was the holiest moment that I had ever experienced in my 16 years of life. And that night, the camp director invited everyone to spread out throughout the camp to spend 15 minutes alone with Jesus. And I sat there. And I looked up at the stars and I told God how much that conversation meant to me and how fulfilling it was. And then the Lord spoke a dream into my heart and he said, McLean, you're going to get to do that for the rest of your life. 
in place after place, in relationship after relationship, in job after job, and me standing right here is the Lord being true and faithful to the promise that he's spoken to my 16-year-old heart. And so I want you to believe that the Lord is speaking dreams and promises into your heart. And Matthew's gospel, which we're going to take a look at, is the evidence of that. Because any and every experience with God is better than our wildest dreams. And Advent is that season when we get to get face-to-face with God. And we get to look at a moment too good to be true, a dream. In Psalm 126, verse 1, it says, When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, we were like those who dream." We don't know what event the psalmist is referring to. We don't know if it was when um, God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. We don't know if it was when he parted the Red Sea. We don't know if it's when they finally reached the promised land. But the psalmist is sitting there and he's saying, God, you're too good to be true. This is my reality, but it feels like a dream and it's so amazing. And that's what Advent is. Advent is when we look at God and we say, God, the fact that you humbled yourself The fact that you came down from heaven, put skin on, and moved into the neighborhood and the person of Jesus is too good to be true. It's like a dream. And not only did you live for us, but God, then you died for us. The person of Jesus came to be sin, to carry sin, to die for sin on that cross so that you and I didn't have to. And in Advent, we're invited to dream of what it would look like to be fully known and fully loved and fully accepted by him. In the Bible... You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I put my bookmark right in the middle. The Old Testament is all the promises God made. And the Old Testament ends in Malachi chapter 4. That's the last time the Lord speaks through one of his prophets to his people. And then he's silent for 400 years. It's like this bookmark represents 400 years of silence. And so during these next four weeks, we're going to find out how did the Lord break the silence? What did he decide to do? Like that song we sang, how did the light break in? And he does it in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, the first 17 verses of the New Testament. He does it with a big old family tree. Now, we could read the genealogy of Jesus. We could read these 17 verses and hear about all the dads and the moms, and list after list. But I thought there would be a much more fun way to do it. So I have asked my husband, Matt Murphy, along with Adam Lindo, to sing it over us. Andrew Peterson is a singer-songwriter, and he wrote a song called Matthew's Begats. And so they are going to sing the first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel to us. Y'all are in for a treat. If I butcher some of these names, Fitz, I apologize. I'm going to do my best. And I I didn't get it memorized. There's just a lot of names. So I'm going to have to look down on this one. Here we go. One, two. One, two, three. Abraham had Isaac. 
Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up and then came. Hiram and Amenadab, nation who was then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth she married Boaz, who had Ovid, who had Jesse. Jesse had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Horam, Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz, then Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Amen, who was a man, his father of a good boy named Josiah. Grandfather Jehoiakim caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. Then he had Shealtiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Abiyah, and had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azer, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of Eliakim. He had Eliezer, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, her mother of Christ. much more fun was that, right? So much better than reading it. Thank you, Adam and Matt. That was amazing. Let me get set back up. Okay, so why did Matthew decide to start out his gospel with the genealogy? Because for the people of Israel, the genealogy is the dream fulfilled. Our verse, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, we were like those who dream. In the genealogy, we hear about Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord promised Abraham, one day I'm going to make a great nation from you and bless everyone. And he took King David and he said, from you, from your descendants, is going to come the one true king. And to Israel, he said, Every promise that I've ever made you is going to come true. And so we could take that verse and instead we could say, when the Lord fulfilled his promise to Abraham, when the Lord fulfilled his promise to David, when the Lord fulfilled his promise to Israel, we were like those who dream. I feel like Matthew intended for the verses to be sung because I think that he's saying the one we've been waiting for, the king, the one we've dreamed about, he's here. He would want it to be sung and proclaimed and excited about it, not just or skipped over like Matt said. No, he wanted us to celebrate who Jesus is. The fact that Jesus' story started way before a manger in Bethlehem. And in the Gospels, there's four Gospels, two of them give the genealogy of Jesus. One is in Matthew, and the other one is in Luke. And so I wanted to show you the way that Luke tells the genealogy, because I find this fascinating. Luke's Gospel, 
starts with Jesus and goes all the way down to Adam. We're just going to look at the first little bit. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was known as the son of Heli. Heli was known as the son of Matit, all the way to Adam. Okay, that's how Luke does it. A bunch of sons. But then watch this. Matthew does it differently. Matthew flips it upside down and he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. You get a bunch of fathers in Matthew. You get a bunch of sons in Luke. And Luke goes all the way to Adam because Luke is trying to tell us this. He's trying to tell us that Jesus is fully man. He goes all the way back to the first man. He's showing his humanity. But what Matthew wants us to know about is the royal lineage of Matthew. He wants us to know that he is from the line of Abraham. And because he's from the line of Abraham, Jesus brings blessings to all the nations. And because he's in the Davidic line, he's the king, he's the Messiah, and he is the savior of the world. It's the same genealogy, but they're telling two different stories. The big picture of the genealogy is that in his great mercy, God kept his promise to bring a king. The Old Testament is promises made, and the New Testament is promises fulfilled. And the genealogy comes to show us that ultimately, Scripture is about God leading his people to his place to live under his rule and blessing. And we know that Adam and Eve were the very first human beings. They were his people. They lived in the Garden of Eden, his place, and they lived under God's rule and blessing. But we also know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve walked away from God, and they lost his rule and blessing. And because they walked out of his rule and blessing, they lost the chance to live in his place, the Garden of Eden. And then saddest of all, because of that, they lost the chance for that intimate relationship of being his people. And so begins the story of scripture, of God seeking to rescue us, to bring us back into the fold, to bring his people back to be his people, to live in his place of abundance, to be under his rule of blessing. That's what all of scripture is about, is God trying to rescue us. And Matthew is saying, that day has come, that day has come, and the opportunity is here now for you to come back into the family. And maybe in seventh grade, you didn't have a conversation with Carrie Cronkite like I did. Maybe you never had that moment where you had the aha of, oh, it's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about the fact that I can be one of his people, and I can live in his place of abundance, and I can be under his rule and blessing. Let Advent be that season for you, that season when you get face-to-face -face with the reality of who God is and who he created you to be. And maybe part of you is wondering if you're worthy of it, or you feel like you've made mistakes, or you feel like you're just not sure. Well, the genealogy is also a megaphone for mercy and the fact that that list of people, they didn't deserve a thing. It is full of scandalous people, liars, murderers, outcasts. You know, for you and me, we sometimes write people off of the family tree. 
We like erase their name. You hear of these stories where people have been written out of the family will. Not the genealogy of Jesus. No one gets their name scratched off. And you know why? It's because he says, you've made mistakes. You're not perfect. Welcome to the family of Jesus. Everyone's welcome when, when it comes to the family of Jesus. Mr. Keller, Mr. Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors and theologians, has a quote that says, The gospel says you are more sinful and more flawed than you ever dared believe, but that you are more accepted and more loved than you'd ever dare hope, or perhaps we'll say than we ever dared dream. The story of Jesus isn't a fairy tale, and it doesn't begin with once upon a time. It begins with the family tree. One of our favorite in our household, one of our favorite kids' books is a book by Max Lucado called You Are Special. And in the book, Max Lucado writes about this group of wooden people called Wemmicks. And the wooden people, the Wemmicks, they walk around all day, every day, giving each other stickers. Golden star stickers and gray dot stickers. The Wemmicks who wood is perfect and not scratched, the ones who can do tricks and are funny, they get golden stars. But the ones who their wood is scratched, they trip and fall, they mess up a lot, the Wemmicks go around and give them gray dots. The thing is, I don't think you and I are that much different than Wemmicks. And I hate it, but I think I carry around stickers in my back pocket. And when I meet people who I think are beautiful, I give them a gold star. If they're rich or important, I listen to them. I let their words carry more weight. And then there's people who I give gray dots to. Maybe they're ugly or poor. They're not important. And without realizing it, in my mind, I cover them in gray dots. And like I said about my seventh grade self, even though I've been following Jesus for a long time, it is still a struggle for me to not hope for gold stars to clean myself up around people, to try to be funny, to try to impress people, desperate for gold stars. But there's a Wemmick named Punchinello, and he's covered in gray dots. And he meets another Wemmick named Lucia, and Lucia doesn't have any dots or any stickers at all. And Punchinello has a dream in his heart, and he says, oh, if I could just be like Lucia and have no stickers at all. So he says, Lucia, how do you do it? She says, well, every day I go and I see Eli, the woodcarver. So Punchinello's like, well, I'm going to go see Eli. So he goes up to his woodcarving, um, to the woodcarvers, and he walks in, and Eli says, oh, Punchinello, I've been hoping you'd come. I'm delighted that you're here. But then his face falls when he sees Punchinello up close, and he sees that he's covered in gray dots. And he says, it looks like you've been given a lot of bad marks. And Punchinello rushes to explain himself. He says, Eli, I really tried hard. I, I tried to do the right things. And I tried to clean myself up, but I just can't get it right. And Eli stops him and he says, I don't care about the stickers. Those are from Wemmicks. Who are Wemmicks to judge you? They're Wemmicks just like you. I'm your maker. And Punchinello, you are special because I made you. And I don't make mistakes. Friends, you are special because you were made by the God of the universe and he does not make mistakes. And then Eli goes on to tell Punchinello, Punchinello, the stickers only stick if you let them. Friends, the stickers only stick if we let them. Others' opinions, our own thoughts about ourselves, they only stick if, they let, if we let them. 
And Punchinella starts to think, well, maybe he's right. And Eli says, come and visit me every day, Punchinello. Come up to my wood shop and let me remind you of who you are and who I created you to be. And with that, a sticker fell off of Punchinello. As we look at the genealogy of Jesus, it is filled with men and women covered in golden star stickers and gray dot stickers. You've got kings, powerful ones, covered in gold stars. Ancestors of Jesus, fathers of the faith to whom there is no parallel, covered in golden stars. But then there are other ancestors of Jesus, covered in gray dots. Prostitutes with shocking pasts. People who led the people astray to worship idols. But it's not about the Wemmicks. It's about the maker. And it's not about the people of the genealogy. It's about the Lord of the genealogy. And at the end of the day, friends, it's not about you and me, but it is about our Savior. And you and I are invited every single day to show up at the doorstep of our maker. We have a way as a church that we're going to try to help each other do that. We have, along with um, the help of a church in South Carolina, created Advent Guides. Fitz and Matt are going to run around the room and pass them out. We would ask that it would be one per family. We want to make sure that every family has enough. So couples, we're just going to give you one. Families, we're just going to give you one. I'm going to give them a second to pass those out. So here's what you're going to find in the Advent Guide. Every Sunday night, there is an opportunity to do a devotional as an individual, with a friend, or with a family. You're going to even be invited to light an Advent candle. So go home, get some candles out. This is like, I know it sounds so simple. It is like the sweetest time for our family. My daughter Maggie, she's six years old, and she ran into the room this morning. She said, Mommy, it's the first Sunday of Advent. We get to light the Advent candles tonight. Like, it is so simple, but it's so beautiful. And so around the dinner table or with a friend, light a candle and be reminded that Jesus is our hope. That's week one. You'll find questions that you can talk about. And then Monday through Saturday, there's readings. There's suggested readings. Why? Why do we do all this? It is only when we spend time with Jesus. It is only when we so, show up at his doorstep every morning that we can be reminded of who we truly are, of who we were created to be. The stickers will fall off of you. You'll get your mind right for the season. There's also really fun stuff at the end of the guide. There's things to do around the city of Tampa. There's traditions to do with people. Maybe you've never celebrated Advent. Maybe this season has always been about buying gifts and rushing around and going to parties. Let this season be the one where you come face to face with Jesus and realize that your life will never be the same, that you will become his people, to live in his place, and to live under his rule and blessing. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world. 
you are Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus, you broke through and that you give us a big old family tree to realize it, that it's not about us and it's not about the people, but that Jesus, it's about you, that you are the king on the throne and it's about who you created us to be. Lord, I pray for the one in this room, the one who has never begun a relationship with you, Jesus, and I pray that this morning would be the day that they take that step towards you, Jesus. I pray that today would be the day that they decide to surrender all they know of themselves to all that they know of you, that they come back to the fold of the family to be your people, to live in your place under your rule and blessing. Jesus, thank you for this beautiful season of Advent, and thank you that you invite us to show up at your wood carving office every morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let's stand one more time.
everyone. We'll see you next time.